Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and uh, happy to be with you and you with me uh, for one more time in the Jazz Focus. Hope you're enjoying these programs. We tend to concentrate on uh, some sort of small elements of jazz recorded history, not to say insignificant ones. So today we're going to be listening to the music of Louis Armstrong, a great New Orleans trumpet player, probably the greatest single figure in the history of jazz, at least by my reckoning, certainly. And uh, we're going to find him at a crossroads in his career at this point. Uh, he had, of course, in the 19... 19- Tens, uh, played in New Orleans, played in a number of different groups on the riverboats. He'd gone to Chicago in the early 1920s to play with King Oliver's band. Played with him, made his first recordings with the uh, King Oliver Creole Jazz Band, 1923. Stayed there for a couple of years. Uh, played around a little bit in Chicago as a leader before he was brought to New York uh, by Fletcher Henderson and played for just about exactly a year, I think 13 months, in the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra, in which uh, he was well featured on record. And in personal appearances, he became a known commodity to uh, New York. York musicians and jazz musicians all over, and uh, returned to Chicago after that. That was in the fall, I guess November of 1925, and uh, started leading some bands at different clubs, also making his great uh, series of recordings that are known as the Hot Fives, and he stayed more or less uh, doing that in Chicago until about 1928-29 when he took uh, his uh, big band on the road to New York and uh, started playing in New York. Uh, he sort of lost that band after a while and began to front Louis Russell's band, the great Louis Russell Orchestra of the late 1920s, which included quite a few New Orleans musicians, uh, two of whom we're going to be hearing from today, and uh, that was Louis's first really good big man that he led, and of course he became known as a great jazz player, but he also became known as a great uh, performer of pop tunes and Tin Pan Alley songs and a singer as well. And uh, as the 30s moved on, he uh, started uh, being featured on all the recordings as a singer and as a player. Of course, he was still a great jazz player. He started making movies, doing radio shows, and uh, really uh, embraced the big band period, which uh, he had helped found. So by the middle 1940s, the big band uh, era was starting to, to, to fade away. Uh, Louis still had a lot of drawing power as an entertainer, so his band continued. Uh, we're going to start uh, our program in February of 1947. This is when Louis is just at the tail end of his big band career. He's about to make his last uh, recording session or two for RCA Victor with the big band. Uh, he had just made a film called New Orleans, which had been released uh, right about this time in February of 1947 in New Orleans. It had his grand opening, since it was about New Orleans, and uh, Louis appeared there with his big band, but also with a small group, uh, ostensibly the, a group that uh, would have been together in New Orleans, playing early New Orleans jazz in the 1910s and the closing of Storyville, and uh, that band had Barney Begard and Kid Ory and different people, and uh, he made a few recordings with that, and uh, they were very well received, to the point where he and his manager, Joe Glazer, started thinking about disbanding the big band and putting together a small group, which he ultimately did, and called it the All-Stars. And uh, it was with that band that he started touring in, uh, I think it was the fall, summer in the fall of 1947, and that was his group of choice for the rest of his life. He had a group called the All-Stars right up until just a few days before he died. He did his last, uh, last engagement. So we're at this transitional period. He hadn't uh, quite got the All-Stars together yet, but he had uh, three interesting recording possibilities, or recording events, I should say. Uh, all three of them were live, and uh, one was at Carnegie Hall, one was a radio show, and one was at Town Hall. We're not going to be listening to the Town Hall uh, 
concert, which was in May of 1947, that was sort of with the prototype of his all-stars, with uh, Jack Teagarden and Dick Carey. He had some New York musicians there as well, and uh, was recreating some of his earlier uh, Hot Five recordings on that. The two recordings we're going to hear, or two uh, dates we're going to hear, were uh, done with the Edmund Hall Sextet at Carnegie Hall in 1947, February, and then uh, with Louis uh, fronting and guesting uh, the uh, Rudy Blesch All-Stars, the This Is Jazz All-Stars. Uh, this Is Jazz was a program that was on, I think it was Saturday afternoons or evenings uh, for quite a few weeks, I think about 30 weeks in the spring and summer of 1947, and uh, provided a venue for New Orleans and traditional jazz Dixieland musicians from Chicago to create uh, some very interesting programs that were written and narrated by the author Rudy Blesch. Sometimes his narration is a bit stilted, but um, the music was always very compelling and had some excellent musicians on there and some wonderful recreations of earlier styles of jazz and some expressions of how that jazz had grown, as well as some great guest stars, including Louis Armstrong, who uh, was part of that show on April 26th of 1947. We'll get to that a little bit later. So as I said, we're going to start with the Carnegie Hall concert of February 8th, 1947. This was a uh, two-part concert, I guess, or two different groups. I'm not sure what order they went in, but Louis fronted the Edmund Hall Sextet for half of it, and he had his big band for the other half, and it featured uh, some of the music from that movie that we just talked about, New Orleans, and uh, also featured the singing of Billie Holiday. We're not going to be hearing that. We're going to be concentrating on well, about half the tracks that uh, were uh, recorded or performed with Edmund Hall's group. Edmund Hall, of course, was a great New Orleans clarinetist, just then coming into his own. He had played with the Claude Hopkins Orchestra. He had played with Teddy Wilson, with uh, Red Allen, with Frankie Newton. He was a swing player more than anything, even though he was uh, a clarinet player out of New Orleans. A very distinctive stylist, as we will hear. And he later uh, joined the All-Stars with Louis Armstrong from uh, 1955 to 57, somewhere around there. And uh, he brought his very spicy version of clarinet playing to that group. But in 1947, early, he was leading a group uh, occasionally on Swing Street and uh, 52nd Street in uh, New York, but also he brought it to Boston and toured around with it a bit. And the group we're going to hear that he's fronting were, uh, was made up, of course, of him on clarinet, Henderson Chambers on trombone, Irving Mouse Randolph on trumpet, Ellis Larkins on piano, Johnny Williams on bass, and Jimmy Crawford on drums. A very uh, A-list uh, group of swing uh, and jazz musicians playing uh, in what in Hall's group was more of a swing type of setting. He had arrangements, and uh, he did some New Orleans standards, but he did a lot of pop tunes as well. But with Louis, he was going to perform some of the tunes that Louis Armstrong had made famous, both back in his Hot Five days as well as with his big band. And we'll even hear some kind of cut-down versions of uh, the big band arrangements on one or two tunes today. So we're going to start with a tune that uh, salutes uh, an establishment in New Orleans, and this was uh, one of uh, Louis' first recordings with the Louis Russell Band in the late 1920s. This is called the Mahogany Hall Stomp and features a uh, trumpet solo by Louis that he recreates on this concert date. We'll also hear a little Edmund Hall and I think some Henderson Chambers as well. So that'll be Mahogany Hall Stomp to begin with. Following that, we're going to uh, jump over to uh, a tune that he did with his Savoy Ballroom Five, which was a late version of the Hot Five, called Save It Pretty Mama. After that, uh, our Hoagie Carmichael and Sidney Aridon tune called Up a Lazy River, which was from a, uh, the big band period, the first part of the big band period of Louis' career. Then we're going to hear Black and Blue, which was a tune that was written for 
Connie's Hot Chocolates, a show in 1929, an African-American show that Louis was in. He did not actually sing this, I don't think, uh, in the show. It was uh, done by uh, a female singer, and it was considered an early sort of racial protest song. It was a lament, although it doesn't sound quite that way today, but we have to take it in context. And Louis uh, used this song for many, many years as a feature, sort of a slow, bluesy feature for himself. Then finally, we're going to hear W.C. Handy's classic, St. Louis Blues. And this is uh, kind of a, along the lines of how Louis recorded this with the uh, Russell Band in about 1930, uh, the big band. Of course, this is a smaller band, but uh, we'll hear some of the sequence in there. And we'll also hear a trumpet solo by Irving Randolph. Louis was always very generous if he had another trumpet player in the band, like Red Allen or somebody. He'll always feature them, if not on recordings, and certainly on uh, live dates and in shows and things like that. So this is going to be our first half of our program. We're actually doing two long sets today. So the first uh, number is Mahogany Hall Stop, followed by Save It Pretty Mama, Up a Lazy River, Strutting with Some Barbecue, which I forgot to mention. There we have Strutting with Some Barbecue in the middle. I forgot to mention it because it's a very short version. Some of these tunes sounded a little bit truncated. I didn't use them, but I wanted to use this because, uh, first of all, of course, it was one of the first Hot Five tunes, but uh, Louis sounds marvelous on this, and it's a good precursor to his All-Stars repertoire. He he, he played this tune in concert uh, with the All-Stars many, many times over the next 20 years or so. And after strutting with some barbecue, what did I do to be so black and blue? And the St. Louis Blues.
save it, pretty mama, day by day. Don't give none away. Let it pile up, honey, if you may. I'll call around soon to name the day. I have an art of loving that can't be beat. My way of hugging is a tree. Why can't we, Mama Green, save a dirty mama for me? Oh, 
bed Spring's heart is less Feel like old nails Wish I was dead What did I do To be so black and blue Even the mouse Ran from my house They laugh at you And scarred you too What did I do To be so black and blue I'm white inside, but that don't help my case, cause I can't hide, what is it my Ain't got a friend whom mm, I send It's only in my skin What did I do To be so black and blue
selection of the tunes that were recorded on February 8th of 1947 at Carnegie Hall, with Louis Armstrong fronting the band, the sextet, led by Edmund Hall. And that was a, a group that had been around for a while. It was an established uh, band. Edmund Hall, of course, we talked about as a clarinet player. He uh, had gone through a number of different groups in the 30s and into the 40s. He was really a swing musician more than a traditional jazz or a Dixieland musician at the time, despite having come up in New Orleans during the 1920s. Uh, Benny Goodman uh, cited him at one point as being his favorite clarinet player, and it's pretty Pretty good uh, recommendation, I think. So uh, we have Edmund Hall on clarinet. Irving Mouse Randolph was on trumpet. He was uh, a very accomplished trumpet player. He was uh, one of the many trumpet players, black trumpet players in the swing era from, say, 1935 to 1945 or so, who were just outstanding players, but who were overshadowed by people like Louis Armstrong or Roy Eldridge or uh, Buck Clayton, Dizzy Gillespie, people like that. Uh, but he recorded quite frequently uh, from the 1920s on. He was on the uh, Alfonso Trent sides, I believe, uh, from uh, the 1920s. He uh, came to New York uh, in the 1930s. He recorded with Fletcher Henderson, with Benny Carter. Uh, he spent a long period of time with Cab Calloway, took quite a few solos with him. And uh, then by the 1940s, he was playing more in small groups. He played several years with Edmund Hall, did several other recording dates with him, other than this Louis Armstrong concert. So he was a very uh, well-traveled musician, as was Henderson Chambers, the trombone player. He had played in a number of big bands. He'd played with uh, Tiny Bradshaw's band in the mid-1930s. He'd actually uh, been playing with Louis Armstrong's band from about 1937 or 8 until 1943, I believe, and then went on to join some studio groups. Uh, he was an African-American trombone player, but very accomplished, so I think he played in some radio bands as well, and then joined Edmund Hall's group, and uh, he and uh, Randolph and Hall were the front line for about three or four years in that group. After that, he went with Count Basie's band for a while. Uh, I think he was actually with Basie's band a little earlier, uh, and then rejoined Basie later on in the 50s. He also played with Ray Charles' big band for a little while. On piano, we had Ellis Larkins, who was the young fellow in the group. He was only 24 at the time of these recordings. He was well-known as an accompanist later on. He accompanied Ella Fitzgerald on a number of early recordings and tours, um, and uh, with uh, quite a few other uh, singers, Chris Connor and many others besides, and he also did some very fine jazz. 
We had Johnny Williams on bass. He was a bass player who was uh, a frequent uh, uh, partner in rhythm sections of, of, of many of the African-American bands of the 1930s. Red Allen's, uh, Mills Blue Rhythm Band, quite a few there, and also with uh, for a while with um, the Louis Armstrong Big Band. And he uh, ended up, uh, as I said, playing in small groups and ended up uh, uh, passing away in the uh, early 1980s, I think, after he had been playing with the Harlem Blues and Jazz Band. And finally, on drums, we had Jimmy Crawford, who was the drummer for the great Jimmy Lunsford band for almost the entirety of that band's existence from the late 1920s up until the late 1940s, even after Lunsford passed away. And uh, following that, uh, Crawford, as I said, uh, went with Edmund Hall's band. He was also such a good musician, he played on in Broadway shows. And that uh, is a hard job for a drummer to begin with, but it's very hard for an African-American to break into that scene, or it was in the 1940s. I'm not sure about out now, but uh, there was very definite segregation at the time, and he must have been uh, regarded as an outstanding drummer to have cracked that nut at the time. So we had Louis uh, fronting and singing and soloing uh, all through there. We started out with the Mahogany Hall stop, followed by Save It Pretty Mama, Up a Lazy River, that short version of Strutton with some barbecue, a very impassioned version of What Did I Do to Be So Black and Blue, which I mentioned was from Connie's Hot Chocolates of 1929, where uh, it was actually um, premiered by Edith Wilson, the blues and, and vaudeville singer, who later uh, became Aunt Jemima on radio and television, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, Louis really made that song his own. And also, we ended up with the St. Louis Blues, which Louis recorded many times in his career and featured a two-chorus, 24-bar solo by Irving Mouse Randolph, right before the vocal. So that was in February of 1947. As I mentioned, that uh, was making Louis and his manager uh, think more of getting rid of the, uh, the large band, which was becoming economically unfeasible, and going back to a small group. And, of course, Louis had come up playing in small groups um, and... Uh, he appreciated the freedom it gave him as an improviser, although he stated later on that he loved playing with big bands and uh, playing in, in front of a big uh, group, even with strings as well. But uh, over the course of the 1930s and up to this point, he would periodically record with small groups uh, out of his big band and also on casual dates. Uh, one of the uh, most notorious, notable recording sessions of his career was from about 1940, which I played on, a, on one of my radio programs and podcasts. It was part of the um, New Orleans uh, jazz album that George Avakian put out in 1939 and 40, and it paired uh, Sidney Bechet with Louis Armstrong. And uh, they recorded four tunes, including the 219 Blues, which we're going to hear in just a minute in, from 1947. So after Armstrong finished this concert, uh, he was engaged uh, pretty soon, actually, to play uh, on a radio show called This Is Jazz. And as I mentioned earlier, this was a program that was on weekly, I believe Saturday afternoons, evenings, on WOR. And it was hosted by and written by the uh, jazz journalist and uh, scholar Rudy Blesch, who had just come out with a book called Shining Trumpets, which is still considered uh, a great uh, feat of ragtime and, and early jazz writing. Uh, and he uh, wanted to present some of the New Orleans jazz musicians, although uh, many of the musicians he had were not strictly from New Orleans. Some of them were from Chicago, and many of them were from different schools. He also was very interested in presenting an integrated band. His bands were always a mixture of white and black players, which even in 1947 was not usual. So the house band for This Is Jazz at the time was Wild Bill Davison, uh, the white cornet player who was usually associated with the Chicago school. He was from 
I think it was Defiance, Ohio. He had a very distinctive uh, shouting style of trumpet playing, cornet playing, actually, and uh, uh, was well-known on the traditional jazz circuit for the rest of his life into almost 1990, I think. Uh, George Brunies from New Orleans was a white player from a very large musical family. Uh, he played trombone. Uh, all of his family played some uh, brass instruments, but he was probably the best known. He was a, a reasonable singer and uh, a good tailgate trombone player. He played with the New Orleans Rhythm Kings in the early 1920s and um, played consistently uh, with uh, Ted Lewis's band and with a number of other Dixieland bands going through the 1940s and uh, ending up in Chicago. I think he, he lived to a fairly ripe old age. We have Albert Nicholas on clarinet. Nicholas had been the clarinet player in the Louis Russell band that Armstrong had recorded extensively with from 1929 to about 1932, 33, and then he rejoined the band in the late 30s. He had played uh, with King Oliver's band. Of course, uh, Nicholas had come from New Orleans. He had uh, been in King Oliver's Creole jazz band shortly after Armstrong had left and then stayed with the larger band that Oliver put together. He toured the Orient. He went to Shanghai. He actually did a round-the-world tour backwards. He went from uh, west to east instead of the other way around and played with groups in Egypt and Paris before landing back in the United States and joining Louis Russell. And uh, as I said, he played with quite a few groups in the 30s, was pretty widely recorded. Um, by this point, he was making his uh, living in clubs on 52nd Street and playing essentially Dixieland music with Rex Stewart and other people. Uh, later on, he relocated to uh, Europe and was a, a celebrity in France and uh, other places in, in, in Northern Europe. He was considered a, uh, an almost uh, legendary figure even while he was alive. Art Hodes, a, a white piano player from Chicago, is uh, here as well. He uh, became known as a jazz writer as well as a jazz player. He had a long series of recordings for Blue Note and uh, recorded with many other groups. Danny Barker from New Orleans is on guitar. He had just left the Cab Calloway band. He was a swing guitar player, swing, great swing rhythm section, uh, and he was moving back into the Dixieland New Orleans field. He later replaced his guitar with banjo, which he had started out with and became a noted uh, musical mentor in New Orleans in his last 25 or 30 years. Pops Foster was another great New Orleans uh, fixture. He had been with the Louis Russell Band as well. I think he was the oldest player in this group. He was born, I think, in the late 1880s and uh, had a very long career into the 1970s, in fact, uh, was known for his slap bass playing. And finally, Baby Dodds on drums, who had played with Louis Armstrong uh, in King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band and also with the Hot Seven. He was considered one of the great New Orleans percussionists of all time. So here we have this group with Louis Armstrong brought in to do this broadcast, which was later remembered as the most successful of the This Is Jazz broadcast from a commercial point of view. It had the biggest audience. They had a turnaway audience in the studio. It was a small studio to begin with, but clearly it was a, a, an event that was talked about. So we're going to hear the next set of tunes from this broadcast. We're going to hear almost the whole broadcast, but not quite. I've cut out some of the talking and so forth. And we're going to start with the Dippermouth Blues, which was a tune that Oliver had recorded in 1923, featuring him on a three-chorus solo, one of the first jazz trumpet solos. And Louis recreates it, boils it down to two choruses here. And then the 219 Blues, which we talked about earlier, the Mamie Des Doom Blues, um, some great singing and playing from Louis. Then we're going to hear... Uh, the When the Saints Go Marching In, the arrangement that was cut down from his big band, another cut-down big band arrangement from uh, the late 1930s, and uh, Louis shouts out names and introduces the soloists as we go. Then we're going to hear uh, a very 
quiet, tender performance of a song that was brand new at the time. Do you know what it means to Miss New Orleans? Louis was a great uh, commercial artist. He had just been uh, in the movie, and in fact, uh, the notes, or, or rather the announcements at one point say that the movie was being released in New Orleans on the night of this uh, radio broadcast, April 26, 1947. And this was the theme song from here. Uh, and we're going to hear Louis do his uh, best on this. He had also recorded this uh, at the February concert with his big band. And then we're going to finish up with a good old good one, as Louis said. I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal you. He uh, uh, introduces the soloists, and we get some interesting interplay, especially between him and George Brunus at the end. So those will be our tunes for this set. The, uh, the Dippermouth Blues, the 219 Blues, When the Saints Go Marching In, Do You Know What It Means to Miss New Orleans, and I'll Be Glad When You're Dead, You Rascal You. Mamie Desdoom used to play piano Storyville. Oh, she's very famous down there. Do you remember that blues that she wrote? What do you call it? Well, uh, we call it 219 blues on the record. I wish you'd play it. Sing. You Will you? Okay, let me get two beats from Baby Dots here. Bobby Bob's fun. Go.
now the 219 took my baby away. I said the 219 took my baby away. But the 217 will bring her back someday. Now you take the TMP. And I'll take the LNN. I said you take the TNP. And I'll take the LNN. And when I get my baby back, she'll never get away from me again. Out of Mellow Simon, my text will be when the saints go marching in. Here come Brother Brunus down the aisle with his trombone. Come here and blow it, boy, blow it. Yes, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Make it better, make it better. Marching in, when the saints go marching in, Lord, 
Yes, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. New Orleans and miss it each night and day. I know I'm not wrong. The feeling's getting stronger the longer I stay away. Mr. Moss colored vines, the tall sugar pines, the mockingbird seems to sing. I'd like to see the lazy Mississippi a-hurrying in to spring. Oh, the mighty cross, the memories of real tunes that fill the air. I dream of oleanders in June. That's when I'm wishing that I was there. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans when that's where you left your heart? And there's something more I missed you when I can't moving. I miss you all.
I'll be glad when you're dead, you're asking you. I'll be glad when you're dead, you're asking you. Asking you. Now I brought you into my home, you wouldn't leave my wife alone. I'll be glad when you're you. I'll be glad when you're dead, you're asking you. I'll be tickled to death when you leave this earth, you're down. Now I took you for my friend, the way you bit me in the back was a sin. Oh, you're asking you. I'll be tickled to death when you leave this earth, you dog. When you lay six feet deep, no more fried chicken will you eat. I know that'll break your heart. You love chicken, don't you, Jack? <laughs> program of This Is Jazz, and it was said, somebody who was in the audience thought that uh, 
George Brunus interjection at the end of that song was going to get them knocked off the air uh, for uh, morals violations, I suppose. Anyway, we started out with the Dippermouth Blues and then went on to the 219 Blues, Mayor, um, uh, Mamie Day Doom Blues. And then, the when the Saints go marching in, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? And I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal, you. So that was Louis Armstrong with the This Is Jazz All-Stars. There's some very fine solos by Wild Bill Davison on cornet on I'll Be Glad When You're Dead, George Brunus on trombone on a couple of them, Albert Nicholas on clarinet, Art Hodes on piano, uh, Danny Barker on guitar, Pops Foster on bass, and Baby Dodds on drums, along with Louis Armstrong and some fantastic playing and blowing. And as I mentioned, about a month later, in fact, less than a month later, he was doing his own town hall concert with uh, the group that sort of became the All-Stars right after that. And that changed the direction of his career significantly, going back to small group improvisation, which is uh, what most jazz fans feel that uh, was his greatest contribution, and probably was. So you've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and uh, we are here Ever and always, I suppose, adding uh, podcasts as we go. If you'd like to be our sponsor, we'd love to have you sponsor us. Um, thinking about doing a little promotion on that coming up and may tell you details on our next podcast next week. So you hear the podcast that I'm making for this uh, station, where our home is on Anchor.fm, and also the radio shows I do for WETF in South Bend, Indiana. They, uh, As soon as they get done broadcasting them, I put them on this podcast station. So you're hearing both of those. So today we listen to the music of Louis Armstrong in the transitional point in his career, 1947, with two different groups, uh, two different groups of very fine swing and traditional jazz musicians, all uh, sort of underneath the genius of Louis Armstrong. So, hope you're enjoying these programs, and uh, you'll, you'll be a regular visitor to uh, the Jazz Focus, and until the next time, I'll see you on the other side.